Hello and welcome to MacBytes, episode 69. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, the much-travelled iMac, a sunsetting frenzy and menu bar madness. But first, uh, following our review in the last episode, we heard from Mikal, hope I've uh, pronounced that correctly, from Mute My Mic. Hello Elaine, hello Mike. Thank you for your thorough review of Mute My Mic. I really appreciate it. Your comments became an inspiration for a new feature you'll be able to find in Mute My Mic soon, I hope. Thanks, Mikhail. That's brilliant. I can't wait. I wonder what it is. I like new features. I just like new software, don't I? You certainly do. No, it's a great piece of software for webinars, so of course I'm always interested. And a follow-up to Jonathan's little trip to New York. He's put some photographs up on his travel blog and they are fantastic. He's working very hard with um, Photoshop and having much trouble with it at the time. So um, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Have a look at them. They are fantastic. Another follow-up was um, I mentioned iCloud, the great iCloud migration, and that the only issue I'd had that was a real problem was that on logging into iCloud, I couldn't see my aliases. Well, we heard from Minster who said, if you log in and then go to settings, your aliases are there. But mine aren't. Well, when I say they aren't, they weren't. Initially, there was none. Uh, on logging in again, I can now see one. Interesting. Last time I looked, I couldn't see any of mine. If I, if I try logging in again, my... my, my uh, Matt teeth. Maybe, <laughs> maybe mine will be there. I don't know. I was thinking maybe it's a, all a ploy, like an incentive to get you to keep logging in. Every time you go back, there's another one of your aliases appears. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I'm not sure, but uh, the one that came back, let me think, it wasn't the oldest one. So it does seem a little random. But yes, that's where I was looking. That was exactly where I expected to see them. Um, I think I had more than three set up in the first place. And the other thing that was worrying was because I couldn't see any of my aliases, it was saying you have three aliases left. When I could see one of them, it said you've got two left. And I thought... I'm interested to know what what's going to happen here, because when they all come back, I, am I going to go to minus something? Anyway, no, I can't see my aliases there. They're not all there. But I will try this week to log in more than once and see if they all come back one at a time. Yeah, maybe I'll try logging in to see if mine is there. We also heard from Alistair following last week. So we were talking about iCloud storage allowance and the fact that my backup from my iPhone uh, had had eaten into my allowance and uh, we thought that it didn't. Alistair tells us that it does. Yes, that's not good news for me then. Three iPads, two iPhones and a rather large bill if I tried doing that. Luckily, that's not how I'm doing it. Yours took, your, your phone was a 32 gig, wasn't it? Nowhere near full and it took nearly three gig to back up. Yeah, that's right, which is a, a good chunk of your five gig um, free, free space. Might be something that I'd do if I had to take one of them back and I wanted to restore it in the store. But other than that, I, I don't see me using that at all. So um, thank you for that, Alistair, but not really what I needed to hear that. Hmm, never mind. Anyway, we heard from Minster as well, who said that Mondays and MacBytes were made for each other and that his commute to work was much better for the new episode. But of course, after a little incident involving a mountain bike, a crash and a swift hospital visit this weekend, we do trust you're fit enough for this episode. Usual warnings apply. I've always said that sport and exercise is too dangerous, haven't you? Oh, indeed. It's not for me. I find that I'm built more for um, comfort rather than speed, shall we say. Anyway, why don't you tell us about the uh, toy that you got? I think you were going to... I was teasing to last week, wasn't I? You were teasing mm. last week, yes. Can I just say, it's definitely worth... Ooh. Yes, a couple of shows back. I'm sure you've got the number secreted somewhere about your person um i talked about um uh, what did we call it an affordable indulgence that was it it was a usb hub and it was gorgeous well the picture looked nice and i wanted one but it was from amazon.com and they wouldn't ship outside america but jenna came to my rescue and it arrived it's perfect it is absolutely perfect. It matches the keyboard, the uh, wireless Apple keyboard, perfectly. I put mine in front of my speaker controller and because that's silver, it matches that too, which was exactly where I was hoping that I would be able to put it um, for accessing pen drives. I don't know about you because I know you've got a laptop, but with my iMac, 
I sort of I got all these pen drives there and every time I looked at them I thought no I can't be bothered fishing everything out that I need to to be able to just plug that in it's not convenient at the back and I do have external hubs but they're inconveniently placed as well so I'd stopped using them so that was my main reason uh, my, my rationale for having it on the desktop um it's better than I thought because it actually does charge my iPhone 4s which I wasn't expecting it doesn't charge the iPad but it does sync it which uh, again I do have a dedicated cable for that but I tried it anyway I gave it a quick try and it, it did work yes installing it caused chaos with my existing setup until I realised that I hadn't unplugged my spare 13 port hub. I'd unplugged my Yeti microphone instead. That explained a lot later yes, on. Yes, we nearly had a crisis, <laughs> didn't we? Yes, I thought it was broken. <laughs> but, yeah, well, the thing was, I, I forgot that I had my Yeti plugged straight into the iMac. But when it stopped working and I realised, yeah, I must have unplugged it, I remembered why I did it. Do you remember why I plugged it into the back and not a hub? No. I had a problem in a live webinar. One minute everything was fine, and the next minute I was being told I sounded like a Dalek. Now, I sounded all right to me. Exterminate. Exactly, that was the problem. So, um, I was like, is it okay now? Is it okay now? And no, it wasn't. Uh, and what had happened was it was plugged into a hub. Um, I figured it was the hub that was causing the problem. And it could have been, but uh, swapping the cable sorted it out. But after that, I learnt my lesson and I plugged my microphone straight into the Mac, not through a hub. So um, I thought I'd unplugged my spare hub to try this new one, but I hadn't. I'd unplugged the microphone. So it was all a catastrophe. But it's all reconfigured now. I've now got my 26 USB ports underneath the desk, four on the desk and the Yeti working again. And it's fantastic. I think that's about 20 ports more than me. They're not all in use, but pre pretty much a lot of them are, I must admit. Yeah, I just find you need more USB ports than you think you do. I mean, I've got the ITV. I've got the, uh, what's it called? The turbo converter thing for the ITV. So that needs to be plugged in on a permanent basis. There's a few drives. Um, I've got an iMic that's plugged in. So I don't even think of those as being devices, really. I tend to think, oh, I don't need that many because I've not got too many USB drives. But to be honest, you do. Yeah, I think I've got an ITV. I've got my cradle. I've got my mic. And that's about it. No, I've got a lot more than that, but not yeah. necessarily drives. But like I say, I, I'd rationalised those under the desk out of the way. So it was a clutter-free and cable-free environment, which is fine for most things. Um, scanner as well. Scanner's the other thing. Oh, yes, so I've got scanner, a lot of the things aren't particularly drives. But like I say, I'd stopped using the pen drives. So yes, it's all perfect now. Um, if you're buying, do be very, very careful. Amazon seem to randomise the seller. They do that in the UK and it drives me mad. Uh, when you're getting from a marketplace seller, if they're all similarly priced, then they seem to sort of randomly offer you a seller. And the thing was, um, the ones that I got from Jenna were perfect. The cable was 11 inches long, which is just about right. It just, just enough to, to, to plug it in the back of the iMac and then bring it round the front. Um, and I've got the cable going underneath my speaker controller. But a friend on Twitter, Sharon, got one. And when it arrived, uh, it was only four and a half inches long, the cable, which is really not even long enough to get it sitting on the desk underneath the back of the iMac. So uh, that that length would be best on a laptop. So she's using an extension cable with it. But mine were perfect. So a big, big, huge thanks to Jenna. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Jenna was surprised how long it took to arrive. And she said, you must live out in the sticks. Mm. Actually, we live in the second or third largest city in the UK. We just have a really, really poor postal service. <laughs> how long did it take? Um, Almost two weeks. That is a long time. I suppose it is, but I kind of get used to it. I'm assuming it came airmail and not across the sea. I've no idea. It was um, it was in a US Postal Service box, but I'm assuming Customs had had a dabble with it. You know what they're Probably. like. They usually have a dabble with most of my stuff. If she's ordering it, it must be worth at least having a look at. So, uh, yes, I actually got a next day delivery first class. Well, actually, no, it's just first class. Delivered the next day. And that was the first time in years and years. Our, our first post used to arrive. Ours was never early, to be honest. But our first post is now around three o'clock in the afternoon. And when I say first post, it's our only post now, isn't it? Yeah. 
I tend to treat um, the post from today as being for tomorrow, really, and like to treat it as being early. I thought you were going to say for the week. <laughs> no, it's the only way to look at it, really, isn't it? Like, oh, the tomorrow's post's early today. Yes, other than that, I'd be really, really annoyed. But no, no, it, we, we're not in the sticks. Can you imagine how long it'd take if we were? Mm. Mm, they might get better service. Mm, anyway. From poor postal service to poor... Um, can I say customer service? Oh, now don't give the punchline away, early doors. Yes, following on from Mike's iPhone success, I decided to send my iMac back. Yes, it wasn't a good idea on reflection. Yes, what had happened was um, I had a 27-inch iMac, which developed a fault on the hard drive. Now, the screen was going odd as well. It had dark patches on it. So I knew it needed some TLC, but I had Apple Care for it. So this was around September last year and I thought now's not convenient because if I had to send it back I would be reduced to using an old 24 inch iMac which oh isn't dear, great. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. I know. Hard but shit. it's not it's not great is it? It's um it's a little bit finickety. It doesn't take much to, to knock it over, I'm afraid. That's that's why I bought the 27, because the 24 was struggling. So I thought, I don't want to be relegated to just having that one to work on. So I hung on and hung on. I was thinking there'll be new IMAX announced soon. Soon. So, well, obviously, you know, almost 12 months on, you can imagine how that's going. Almost as bad as the iWork debacle. So I hung on to it and then the hard drive went completely. Now, I know what you're thinking. At that point, you sent it back. No, I didn't. Um, I keep a super duper image uh, every day. So all I did was make a copy of that and boot into the image and I carried on working with it. By Christmas, it was running slow and I was annoyed. So I got myself a replacement iMac. So you know what you like, you transfer everything and then think, I'll just hang on, I'll just hang on. And I was thinking they'll announce these new iMacs before the end of January. And they didn't. And then February came. And in the end, I thought, oh, I must get it sorted out. So the grand day came and I wasn't falling for the old Trafford Centre routine again. So I decided to send it back. I spoke to them in um, on the phone via Apple Care. Yes, you know that sketch? You know the one I mean, don't you? No, remind me. You don't? No. The Faulty Towers one with Basil the Rat. My name's Manuel. Oh, yeah. And I am from Barcelona. Yes, only wasn't called Ma um, Manuel, but he was from Barcelona. He pretty much got every everything I said down incorrectly. He got uh, my name wrong. He got the fault wrong. He got uh, my telephone number wrong. Luckily, he must have copied and pasted the email. So the third party repairers could actually manage to get in touch. So that luckily they rang me to speak to me before they sent somebody to pick it up. And um, they, they relayed what he said the fault was. And I said, no, 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 that's not it. And I thought, here we go again. So I gave them all the information and they did seem to know what they were talking about. So having avoided successfully team trafford and the intellectually challenged geniuses therein it was arranged that it would be collected on friday this is not last friday it is the one before so off it went uh, got a phone call first thing on monday they agreed with me that the hard drive was dead and the screen was pretty much the same way and that they would be sorting sorting it out so I got another call on Wednesday saying it uh, could be returned whenever I liked. So it was arranged they would deliver it on Thursday. And true to their word, it arrived on Thursday. Sadly, it was a fleeting visit. Mm. The hard drive was OK. It was amazing to see it boot so quickly because working off an image for as long as I did, I, I hadn't realised how slow it was. Uh, the screen was minus its dark patches, but... With the addition of several dead pixels, I wasn't happy. And I thought, hmm, do I speak to Manuel in Barcelona again or should I ring this third party? So I, so I rang them and I was, oh, modicum, decorum and, and um, diplomacy I was. And he started arguing. Hmm, I wonder who thought that was a good idea. Anyway, he came round to my way of thinking in the end that they needed to take another look at it. But apparently Apple accept a certain number of dead pixels in repairs, which I think's poor service. I think if you have a Mac and it's, apart from the fact that there is a fault with it, there were no dead pixels when it went in, then I don't expect any dead pixels when it's returned. Would you agree with that? I totally agree with you. Um... 
There, there is a, a thing where there is an, an acceptable number of dead pixels, but not, as you say, if it's coming back. If it had none originally. I only want I only want putting back in the same position I was yeah, before. Exactly. So if I had elected to accept dead pixels in the first place, then I don't suppose I could have argued, but. I felt it was incredibly unfair to have that return for, for, a, for a machine that I do use for design stuff with dead pixels on it. Now, I was prepared to say that one of these dead pixels may not have been a dead pixel because a dead pixel shows as black. So I know you've got some red ones on I've one got of your... one. I've got one dead pixel on my external monitor. Now, is that the red one? That's the red one, yeah. But if the pixel's red, it's not dead. By definition, there's, there's a colour there. It's stuck... It's a stock pixel. If it's black, then it tends to be dead. And this one was black, so it was dead. But one of the other ones, if you kind of move your head and you look at the screen from side to side and up and down, if it kind of sparkles, if it isn't a solid colour, if it's sort of... It's hard to explain, isn't it? You know what I mean. Did you if have it, your coat over your head at this point? No, no, no. That's <laughs> backlight bleed. That's got nothing to do with dead pixels. Pixels, <laughs> pixels. No, no, I no, I didn't. No, if it sparkles, then it's it's trap dust. But I mean, either way, there were some specks on there. There was definitely more than one dead pixel, and there was definitely what looked like trap dust to me. Oh, and he he started wriggling, and then as I was saying one thing, he just decided to say the opposite. So when I said, well, you know, one of them may not be dead, it could be trap dust. No, 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 not necessarily. It could be dead. And I thought, well, I've just said that. So I thought, OK, reverse psychology here. So so pretty much upshot was because he said to me, this was a classic statement. He said, um, where are these dead pixels? As if it made a difference. I said to him on the screen. So I think at that point he decided he wasn't going to get any more sense than that. As if if they're round the edge, it makes less of an impact. I mean, I suppose for using it, it does. But I wasn't happy with with the repair anyway. So it was going back. It was just a matter of how much arguing we were going to have before it did. So they collected it on Friday and I'm without my iMac again. Oh, such hardship. I know. But have you seen how many screens I juggle in an average webinar? True. Mm. Anyway, luckily, Nick's confirmed, he's got a problem with his iMac, that the service at the Trafford Centre hasn't improved any in the last three years. So um, he's still having problems. Now... If I'm still having problems, I thought I could send you to the Trafford Centre because they seem to like you there. They certainly don't like you. Oh, don't I know it? Ah, <laughs> uh, enough of this. Should we talk about the, uh, should we call it the word of the week? Sunsetting. Sunsetting, yes. Oh, what now? <laughs> yes, another week, another service breathing its last. 31st of July, iWork.com, dead. How will we notice the difference? Exactly. I, I only used it once. Uh, that was the day they released it, and I, I did it to test it. I've got I one think, document up there. I think it's I a did test. the same. <laughs> That's the problem, wasn't it? It's so poor, I didn't bother using it after that. And therein lies its failing. I bet nobody else did either. <laughs> no. Something else that uh, has been reported as being dead, but uh, not totally, is uh, Thunderbird. Uh, responding to news items that his company was dumping Thunderbird, J.B. Piacentino, managing director of Thunderbird, tried to clarify the future of the software. Thunderbird users can look forward to upgrades down the road with the versions 14, 15, 16, 17 on the horizon. Mozilla also plans to support the application until at least the end of the second half of 2013. Sounds like the old British football phrase has the full confidence of the board. <laughs> For our foreign friends, that means dead by Friday, then. Yes, uh, the company will still devote paid staffers to handle the support of Thunderbird, though they might only spend part of the time working on the project. But beyond support, Mozilla is shifting the hardcore development of the product to the community, so looks like it's going to be uh, community-based and, and open-source. To be more specific, it's going to no longer focus on developing innovations, but it will keep it, as they say, safe and stable, whatever that may mean. Safe and stable. Hmm. New word for dead, I think. Did you ever use it? Not as an email client, if that sounds strange. I never sort of put my email account details in it and accessed my mail via it. But if I wanted to test something or I wanted to test a backup... 
um, of a mailbox or something, then then I, I use Thunderbird for it. But no, not as I sit down and use it as a mail client, no. I think I used it once. I think I used it for importing stuff from Outlook. Uh, there are other tools that you can use, but and we'll discuss those in a future episode. But I did, I think I did only use it the once. I remember using it for some kind of, um, like you're saying, accessing from one file format and then saving out into another. So it was more of a conduit. It was more of a utility tool for me. But it was always handy to have it there that that it was another possibility. I mean, I don't use the mail client on... Well, actually, I hadn't used the mail client on Lion. I had used mail for about six years. Um, no, five years. And then I switched to Postbox. And I really like Postbox. I don't think you'd have as good an experience with it if you were using .me mail or whatever. But me using Google Mail, it works really nicely. So I've stuck with that. But Thunderbird was, was nice ish if you were processing stuff and testing stuff it meant you didn't have to delete your accounts out of the other um, applications you'd got but this uh, when we did our upgrade to um, our iCloud thing I decided I would try and back up what I had on my .me email and I thought the easiest way for me to do it was rather than download it into you know some kind of mailbox thing and back that up was to use Dev and Think Pro Office for it and I'd done that before and I had terrible trouble. It worked, but if you, it depended on how many mails you were trying to back up. Um, if you tried to sort of process too many, it seemed to really struggle with it. It was one of those jobs that you would be best left overnight. And that way you're sure that it's either finished or it's not going to finish. Whereas you're sitting there thinking, should I stop this? So um, I did configure uh, the mail client on Lion. First time that I'd used it and I found that the conduit between it and DevonThink is much improved. It backed up over 4,000 mails in a matter of minutes and it didn't struggle once. So that was one of my problems with it, that it wouldn't back up very, very easily. So I might take another look at mail, who knows, but I don't think you can, I don't think they're going to tempt but new users to use Thunderbird on that basis, are they? So it's not a case of Thunderbirds are go, it's more of a case of Thunderbirds are no, isn't it? Thunderbirds are gone. Thunderbirds are gone, yes. R.I.P. Like <laughs> uh, they're not the only one to, to kill off this week, though. No, I, I saw a, a great thing. It was doing the rounds. It's called the Google Graveyard. I had to look. You know I did, don't you? <laughs> you know I did. It's um, actually a page on Pinterest, and it, it's fascinating. I mean, we've always been sort of sniggering away at Google for all the things that they kill off. But the, this this page has um, lots of pins. I'm, I'm not big on Pinterest. I'm, I'm almost as bad with it as Facebook. But um, it's pretty much like a portal, isn't it, to all that Google has killed. Some of it is new. Yes, let's have a look at what's on there. Where should we start? Google Health. What's that? Well, I, I, I have no idea. I have no idea that Google pack, no idea. But um, some of it's some of it's new. iGoogle, they've just killed iGoogle, which I thought had potential. This is why they've killed it. Anything I think has potential is a goner. Uh, Google Desktop, remember that? I remember Google Desktop. Google Sync for BlackBerry. Well, seeing as BlackBerry's a goner, they might as well <laughs> I don't think anyone's that. going to miss that. The one that got me was Google Notebook. And I love the comments that are on this Pinterest page as well. Google Notebook was what we used um, for episode one of MacBytes, wasn't it? And I remember you and Mikey B saying, "What? what's Google Notebook then? And when the pair of you saw it, it was like, whoa, this is cool. Mm. And of course, I think that lasted all of about 10 episodes, didn't it, before they terminated it. <laughs> Um, and it became really, they took the technology from that and put it in Wave. And incidentally, coincidentally, look at that over on the other side of this um, Google graveyard. There's Wave. But there's, there's some other interesting stuff on there as well. Google Gears. Blast from the past, aren't they? Google what Talk. Earth, what, what was Aardvark? I don't know, but it got it up the top of the alphabetic list. <laughs> I've no idea, but that's dead as well, apparently. So I'm going to put a link in this to, for this for the show notes. It, it's interesting looking back and seeing all these things that, that at one time were billed as the next greatest thing. Patent search. I don't even remember that one. And Buzz. Oh, who remembers Buzz? Did you ever partake of that? No. No, Aardvark I didn't. is, or was, 
A secretive, invite-only social search. Oh, good grief. It was the alpha of Google+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> so that one was a classic, I thought. There's there's a lot on there. It's, it's worth a look, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was like looking at my um, tech past. But I, I read somebody on Twitter who said that if any other company had had such a string of failures, the tech press would call them beleaguered. And, and I think that's pretty right, isn't it? I don't think yeah. any other company could get away with um, sunsetting that many products and get away with it. I suppose they're getting away with it because the majority of the stuff that they release um, is beta. So they can say, well, uh, no, we've changed our mind and move on. I think anything people don't want to, to commit to these days, they, they just make beta, don't they? Mm. Well, look how long Gmail was in beta. But then it got better. On top of fast, on top of the Google graveyard came the Microsoft Morgue. Mm. And again, it, it's um, a page on Pinterest. And the stuff that was on there that was even more fascinating because obviously I... I pretty much use Microsoft software every second of every day until 2006, 2007. I got my, my first Mac in 2006, but I still had to carry on using it for a while. But some of the stuff on there really made me laugh because there were things that I remembered. But, you know, like only just Encarta. Remember Encarta? Uh, yeah, that was the um, encyclopedia, wasn't it? I think it was. Um, I remember it. Uh, maybe I, I'm misremembering it. Do you remember the one that was on... Um, I think that was an encyclopedia. But do you remember the one that was a little bit like Internet Movie Database on a DVD? Yeah. In fact, it was a CD cinema. at the time. Was that it was Microsoft Cinema? Cin Cin cinema something. Cinematica? Something like that. So Encarta was uh, similar, on similar lines. And um, yes, that's uh, died a death. I, I could barely even remember it. Um, Zune, of course, but the one that I thought, good grief, I'd forgotten that because it really literally lasted all of 30 seconds, was uh, Microsoft Kin. Remember Microsoft Kin? No, I can't say I do. <laughs> it was... Um, it was sort of a phone, but not a phone. So it was pretty much a texting device. had a keyboard um, and a, and a large-ish screen, but it was aimed at kids. So I presume they were trying to get in on the BlackBerry market. Um, but it, it, when it was launched, they, they put out an advert, and it was the advert that I remembered. The advert was like um, a youngish girl who was kinning, or whatever you call it, with um, a pop star who was saying, come along to, to the concert, etc., etc. And it kicked off big style because they were saying, you know, you're trying to teach kids to be careful online. And she was arranging to meet this pop star after a gig. So I think that was dead before the advert was first shown. It was one of those. But yes, that's on there as well. Um, and there's quite a few other stuff on there. Things I don't remember, like Microsoft Equipped. Remember I don't remember one? half the things No, on I there, don't. But I did remember the kin. I, I did remember the kin. That was the one I did remember. That stuck in my mind. So yes, um, there was the Microsoft Morgue, hot on the heels of the Google graveyard. I'm just wondering how long it'll be before they kill off my beloved Yammer. Yes. I thought you'd be sad when yeah. they bought that. Everyone else was quite pleased, though. Were they? Well... I was hearing maybe it's just people trying to trying to you know put a positive spin on it. Yeah, some somebody asked me this week and I I you know I, I said maybe I'm just being a, a cynic but uh, I've seen Microsoft's track record with um with buying things but uh, time will tell I think. So what are you going to move on to if and when they terminate Yammer? Uh, well, Yammer is a, a social networking, um, it's not an app, it's a, a social networking system for for businesses. And there are others, uh, so it, it really depends on what a, a particular company is implemented. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not the be-all and end-all, but I I happen to have a an affinity with it, shall we say. I had an affinity with iView Media Pro, talking about the Microsoft Morgue. Yes, they've sold that on. But yes, Credit they ruined it. Credit card already, wasn't it? I, I was seconds away from buying it when Microsoft got there first, at which point I put the credit card away. It wasn't cheap either, but um, they ruined it. They they just didn't understand. I don't know why that companies buy products like that if, if it doesn't form part of a bigger overall plan. If you're just buying it to kill it, I don't understand. It wasn't really competition for anything that Microsoft already had. So I w was thinking, well, they must be buying it to improve a product. And it did go in as part of the suite. It was part of the Expression Builder suite. 
it could have been so fantastic, but I don't think they understood what they had and now they've sold it on. So it's back in private ownership, but I don't think it's the people who originally had it. But yes, if, if I was um, using Yammer, I'd be worried as well. So I decided if we'd got the Google Graveyard and the Microsoft Morgue, let's have a look at the Apple Abattoir. <laughs> like it. Yes, Dot .Mac. You, you see, you don't think of Apple as really killing things, do you? But there was Dot .Mac and then there was Mobile Me and then there was iWork.com. And this week, some 64-bit Macs won't support Mountain Lion. Like mine. Mm. Is yours a 64-bit one, though? That's a very good question. <laughs> I just know that my Mac was put now. Yes, they're, they're pretty strict on the system requirements. So, yes, that that's... Uh, I'm calling that... Yes, I'm putting that in the abattoir. There really is no reason why they can't support exactly what Lion supports, I'd have thought, unless they just want you to buy a new kit. Oh, could Apple really want you to do that? I think, I think they might. Who's being cynical now? Mm, I am being cynical. Oh, it's such a shame because, you know, I've got Macs that are still working and I remember that that won't take Mountain Lion. When I first went to a Mac, there were people at the Mac Club locally, weren't there? They'd got machines from 12 years ago and they were still running the latest version of OS X. And it, it, it that's not going to happen anymore. There's no way. Um, be it that it is genuinely a limitation that the hardware can't take it or that Apple build in some kind of uh, fake, you're not installing it on this piece of old junk. So I think that's quite sad. I'm This time round with a um, new operating system is the first time that I am going to have to start retiring machines that they they literally cannot be updated. Yours was the first one that couldn't, wasn't it? Last time round with Lion. Yeah, the 20-inch, yeah. yeah. The 20-inch was a core, du a core duo, wasn't it? So not a core two duo. So this time round, uh, my laptop won't take it. My laptop being over six years old. And it won't take it. You wear that as a badge of honour, don't you? I do, I do. But there's a story about that, but I'm going to keep it for another show. <laughs> you know the one I mean, don't you? I do. Let's not, let's, not, let's not look at that this week, I don't think. It's a shame because the laptop looks like new. I look after my kit and it's only got two gig of memory, but it, it runs reasonably well. It's still on Snow Leopard, but I will take it up to Lion and give it a go, see how it runs. It's just a shame, really. It's just a shame that you've got this piece of kit and it's not going to be able to run the latest and greatest and you're pensioning something off that doesn't really need to be pensioned off. It's sad. But then again, I must console myself with the fact that my Windows laptop was terminal after 18 months. So six years, I've not done bad, have I? I think I got my money's worth out of that one. But talking of um, problems with kit... One of the interesting things that I read about this week was on the BB Edit uh, Google group list. And apparently uh, BB Edit has problems on the retina display. And I haven't seen much coverage of this story um, in the Mac community. Seems to be, obviously it's a big talking point in the BB Edit community. But um, BB Edit has problems in terms of rendering its display on the retina MacBook Pro. And you're thinking, well, it's graphics, isn't it? And you see so many applications get updated that you're just thinking it's just a matter of a couple of days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks at most. But no, um, they came back with a message that said, we're going to deal with this, obviously, but albeit not immediately. And that kicked it off again. Why no hotfix? Why not immediately? It's unworkable. Um, and the, the thing seems to be that they've used some kind of system to write the thing that now would need a complete rewrite to work correctly on the retina display and that that's not going to be able to happen anytime soon, which is a bit of a problem because, you know, if you're using BB Edit as your code environment, it's going to run terribly on the retina display, apparently. Uh, that's a biggie, isn't it? I haven't got one, so I'm not concerned. But if I did have, that would be a big issue for me. Don't buy a retina display. Mind you, at the end of the day, they'll probably all be retina displays, won't they? Exactly. It won't be Eventually. long, will it? And we do use BB Edit. It is very, very powerful. It's not what I code in every day. I, I'm coding in Espresso and Coda 2 uh, more than BB Edit. But BB Edit is my go-to application when I want to script something. So, yes, that would be a problem for me. Uh, it's lines across the screen, apparently. So, obviously, it impacts your... If it was just sort of a pug-ugly dialogue box, then maybe you could live with it. But lines across the screen in a text editor where you can't read it is a bit of a showstopper. That is not good. So, yes. Mm, I think I've shot myself in the foot with you there, haven't I? 
You've just said don't buy one. <laughs> ah! Never mind. I'm saying nothing. Well, from one app to another app, and uh, this week I had a look at WinZip for iOS, which is uh, is new out. It's free, and it lets you open a zip file on your iPhone or your iPad. It's dual binary, so you've got uh, one app for both. And it works not only with zip files, but also with RAW files as well. And it opens encrypted zips, so it is fairly powerful. It can open a zip file from a number of different sources, like a, a web page, uh, from Dropbox, and also from webmail, so from Yahoo, Gmail, and Hotmail. Although you tried it with the Gmail app, didn't you? Yes, I didn't have the Gmail app on my main phone, but I did have it on a backup, and I tried it, and it didn't work at all. I did, I tapped it with my finger and held down and I did get what I would get normally in that it went to another page so it slides you across to another page and then it just sat there so it didn't seem to work at all with that wouldn't pass it off to it similar to the experience I had with Sparrow uh, it did say that it can open it from a mail but I think that's probably just with the built-in mail app uh, didn't work with Sparrow again I, I, you know, I tapped on the the thing that represents the attachment and there's a button that says open in and nothing came up after I pressed that. So I'm I'm putting that down as a fail for Sparrow, but uh, I've got the mail app on there. So if, if needs be, I can, I can use it with that. But if it supports Yahoo, Gmail and Hotmail, I'm assuming it means from a browser. Yeah, I would think so. It can actually open up, uh, obviously once you've opened the zip file, you're going to have files inside there. So it can it can actually then view the documents themselves. It's not just a, an unzipper, it includes a viewer. So it, it, can, it can view Word, Excel, PowerPoint, PDFs, JPEGs, other image formats, text files, keynotes, numbers and pages documents. And although it has a few flaws in the apps it supports, uh, I, th I think it's worth adding to, to your arsenal of apps. It's free. Stick it on there. Uh, it can open up uh, zip files from many different sources. Seems strange to me to still call it WinZip. <sighs> yeah, I never thought of that, actually. <laughs> I know. suppose if they branded it iOS Zip, you might not know it was from uh, that company. Yeah, I mean, it has got the WinZip logo and everything, hasn't yes, it? Yes, it has. So you do um, know that it's it's an official app from Winzip. But yeah, Winzip's like a, a well-known brand name, isn't it? Just seemed an odd name to give it to me, but um, to be honest, if you if it's got the built-in viewer and stuff, it starts to sound very much like Goodreader. It does, and I th I think I would stick with Goodreader. I think I would because it's got um, so much more integrated in the terms of how you can get the files to to it and from it. When you think of all the options you have on the right-hand side for connecting to local drives and Dropbox, Box, SugarSync, you could probably get the zip files in there from so many different locations, whereas with this one, part of the problem was you were struggling to get stuff in, I was struggling to get stuff in. If you could get the app, if you could get your zip files in there, then maybe. But I think I'd stick with Goodreader. Yeah, I downloaded it's, it's, it anyway. It's one of those apps. As I said, it's it's free and it's it's worth having on there just so that you've got it, so that you've got something to to unzip zip files with. But you know, I would probably use Goodreader um, as as my primary way of of opening those zip files. Me too. Do you want to tell us about Menu Bar Madness? Oh yes. This one's been brewing for quite a while. I was editing some video of a webinar that I delivered last June and I, I was gazing at it. it um, I delivered this webinar at full resolution on a 27-inch iMac and I was gazing at this recording thinking, what was I thinking as I looked at the menu bar? And um, I gave it a quick count. I'd got 29 icons in the menu bar uh, in addition to the clock and spotlight. And I thought, do I really need all these? Now, I've mentioned a couple of times in, in the last few months about reducing my um, footprint on my menu bar. And so this is it. I'm going to tell you everything that happened. So you that have was footprints where I, on your menu bar. I probably do. <laughs> <laughs> I had everything else on there. Oh, it was embarrassing. The shame. Um, it, it just happens, doesn't it? I think I mentioned that when I first went to a Mac, I thought this is handy. Um, and a notification area. A little bit like that thing at the bottom in Windows. The taskbar. No, in the corner near the clock. 
Yeah, the task bar. Oh, is no, that the no, task no, bar? No, no, it's a no, system, it's not. Oh, system tray. That's the one. You use it every day, so don't call me. Um, but at least with that, there was a little bit of control, wasn't there? You you could... Can you actually right-click on an icon, or do you, do you set it up at system level, what shows and what doesn't? <sighs> Thinking the later versions of Windows, things used to slide across, and you could hide them. And you could say, only show me that icon if there's an update. You know I'm in a lockdown environment, so everything's pretty much <laughs> wonder you can turn it on. Well, that's what I used to do with that anyway. I, I wouldn't have... I would only have items down there that provided some functionality. There didn't seem much point in having them there otherwise. But the menu bar was useful at first, but the more um, applications that I bought and the more applications that insisted on installing themselves up there, the worse it became. Um, pretty much the main issue is not just the number of items up there. If there was some consistency with their placement, then that would help if I could just drag them and move them. Now, I know I can do that with the inbuilt system ones. If you hold a key down, you can actually reorder them. But you can't do that very easily with all the third-party ones. Some applications, like Fantastical, uh, not in the store. You have to download this from their site. But they provide a script where it forces the icon over to the right-hand side. So, the, But it was very difficult to manage it, and that was the problem. And as I'm looking at all these icons, I thought, this is ridiculous. A lot of those applications didn't have any option to disable them. And some might have been more useful if I could have found them quickly enough. But in that clutter, I stopped using them. So then, of course, when it came to webinar time, I was having to close down as many as I could because I'd got attendees asking what applications they were because they liked the look of the icons. I know, it's ridiculous. Uh, this particular, I, I made a list of what I actually had up there and then went through this list and thought, do you need these things? So what I'd got running at the time was Better Touch Tool, Ecophon, ScreenFlow, LogMeIn, Moom, Serve to Me, Air Video Server, Dropbox, Default Folder, Drop Copy Pro, Typeinator, Alarms, BusyCal, Essentials, Highbrow, Shuttle Pro, Activate, Fantastical, In Between Box, Growl, Caffeine, Spaces, Blue. Bluetooth, Sync, Scripts, Volumes, um, Menu Calendar Clock, and Skitch. And since then, I've added Cloud App and Drop Zone as well. Better uh, take a breath. Yes, at webinar time, I run even more. So I then have Zoom It, Pinpoint, Omnidazzle, and Mouse Pose running. If I'm using my Wacom tablet, then that's in there. So it really had reached the point of being meeting in the middle, which was ridiculous. Just to look at some of those, I mean, Dropbox, that is actually useful. Isn't it? Do you find yourself glancing at the Dropbox icon? Yeah, it's handy to see if it's synced. That's exactly what I use it for. That little blue tick's quite reassuring. Also, Growl is one of those things that if, it, if it's there on the icon, it's handy to control it. Um, but some of the others were problematic in a way. So some of them I wanted. Some of them I could have lived without, if I was honest. Menu calendar clock, I find essential. I do like to see the date up there. I know you run that as well, don't you? I run that, yes. It's uh, up there in the corner. But some of the others were... Um, I didn't invite them there. They invited themselves. So what I did was I went through this process of um, streamlining it. And the the more icons I managed to get rid of, the more use I made of the ones that were left. So the process was, uh, step one, I disabled the menu bar option for any apps that let me do that. So I, it was my choice whether I had the icon there or not. Um, some of them didn't. I think Log Me In pretty much insisted on being up there. So what I did with that was I uninstalled it. It, I had had a problem with it and I made the decision I'd use something else rather than that one. Some of the things I could live without easily, though, were things like at the time it was Ecophon. But even now, you know, I, I'd stopped using that and I decided that whatever Twitter client I was using, I wasn't going to have it in my menu bar anyway. There was Moom that I got rid of. Now, I still use Moom, but I don't think I need the icon anymore. I, I've got everything running from shortcut keys. So, um... It is still there as well within the Chrome of my applications. So I decided I could run that without the uh, menu bar icon. The scripts menu bar icon, I, I do use scripts, but again, there are other w ways to run scripts. So I decided I'd remove that one. I had no idea why I had the sync one there at all. Have you got that there? I've got the sync one there, yeah. 
I decided to take it away. Um, really, it was only much use to give you a notification if the sync services weren't working. So I decided I'd probably know if they weren't working. I, I'd, I'd hear about it on Twitter before the icon <laughs> informed me. So I got rid of that one as well. Uh, the Bluetooth one I disabled. The thing with the Bluetooth one is it does come back randomly. It comes back when the batteries start getting low. But other than that, if the batteries aren't low, then I'm not really concerned uh, whether I can see it or not. So I got rid of that as well. So having reduced it as far as I could with the ones that I, I felt I didn't need, I then moved on to stage two, which was, was there a way to replicate the functionality that was provided by the icon in the menu bar, whatever it was, in an invisible way? So, for instance, I had a default folder showing its icon up there. Is that another one you have? I used to. Um, I think I got rid of it somehow. I can't remember how. Well, I had it showing there and it did actually have useful features. It, uh, If you clicked on the icon, it, it gave you a list and one of the items in the list was recent folders. So if you'd recently used a folder and it was sort of 27 levels down, you could always use that to get back to it very quickly. So that was a potentially useful feature for me. So I had to think about it and think, well, is it, you know, has it earned its place on the menu bar for that feature? And I decided, no, it hadn't because I was able to replicate that feature in launch bar where I could type a command and use the right arrow and I could get a list of the recent folders and I could also navigate the whole file system using the mounted volumes feature. So this is very similar in Alfred. Alfred does exactly the same job. So what I do is if I want to navigate to a recent folder, I use my launch bar shortcut key. I start typing the word recent. And for me, as soon as I get to REC, it pops up with recent. I use the right arrow key and I get a list of all the recent folders. If I use the words mounted volume, so all I have to type in launch bar is MV because I've used it a lot. That navigates my file system for me. So it shows me all the drives and I use the arrow key to then navigate the mounted volumes. So to be honest, because of that, I decided that I could do without the default folder one. So as I say, that was step two and that was to replicate the functionality of an item up there in an invisible way. So pretty much launch bar played a big role in that. Process three, step three, was more troublesome and insistent applications. And these were the ones that had no option to disable the icon. Now, this was where Dropbox came in. In Dropbox, you cannot disable that icon. So I then thought, well, is it is it useful enough or not? And of course, if I can't turn it off other than closing Dropbox, and I did think about doing that, um, I was going to have to live with it. And apart from the fact that it does indicate whether it is synced or not, I didn't think it was worth having on the menu bar for any other reason. Now, I like you're saying it's there and yes, it, it's a nice comfort. But apart from that, I thought there should be an option. I'm assuming that you interface with Dropbox through the menu from up there that you click on the icon. Yeah, that's why it's up there. Well, for me, again, I was using launch bar for that. I had I have two launch bar things for Dropbox. One is to run the application and the other is to access the folder. So one is uh, DB and launch bar runs the application. And then if I use DX, it opens the folder. So again, I, I wasn't keen on having the icon up there just to indicate that it was in sync. That was when I started researching. Could you actually disable this? If you couldn't do it through the interface, was there some other option? Um, and no, pretty much the only way to do it was to hack the application and take the icon out, which I didn't think was worthwhile. And not could, good. Well, no, that's not really what I want to do, is it? But at least the Dropbox icon, arguably it had some function. It indicated that things were in sync. The worst candidate of the lot for me was an icon that um, represented the Shuttle Pro. Now, notice that represented the Shuttle Pro. I can't really say much more than that. It didn't do anything. Seriously, this icon did nothing other than run the software. When you clicked on this icon, it ran your Shuttle Pro software. Hello, have you met the doc? 
Um, and obviously, I wouldn't even have that on the dock personally. But what on earth were they thinking? Or well, that was all this icon did. Now, a Shuttle Pro is an interface device for pretty much videoing, video and audio editing. It's got lots of buttons and a shuttle wheel in the middle. I don't, you know, I, I program that. I know what I program the buttons to do. I don't need an interface to make that work. So I, I had no idea what that was doing up there. The, like I say, the only function was you clicked it and it ran the interface and that, that was all. But you can you are intended to run this thing without the interface. If you think of how your mouse works, you don't have the mouse preference pane open all the time you're using your mouse. And I didn't need the Shuttle Pro thing open all the time I'm using my Shuttle Pro. So for that reason, I definitely didn't need the icon whose sole purpose was to run the thing. So I thought, well, there'll be an option for that. And I started looking around there. I could not find any options whatsoever. I thought there's got to be something and there wasn't. So I had the only two things I could do with that one was close it every time I rebooted the machine, which I could script, I suppose. Or I could hack again the application package. Now, with that one, I, with Dropbox, I decided, no, I wouldn't do that. But with this one, I decided I would. Um, there are some instructions that are available. It's in a PDF on a website. It looks as though it's a PDF, um, an FAQ PDF it was. It looks um, as though it's come from the company themselves, but I wouldn't like to say it had because it wasn't on their site. But the instructions worked perfectly, so that at least got that one removed for me. As I say, it's not for everybody, but... And some applications like Dropbox, I'd like to be able to toggle them on and off rather than just completely cripple it. This was where Bartender came in, which is a relatively new application. It's still in beta. But all I can say is, where have you been all my Mac life? It's amazing. I've tested it for a couple of months. Um, I always worry with things like that, that they're so tightly integrated with the OS, it could be problematic. But to be honest, for me, it's been rock solid. And the, the de developer is incredibly responsive. Um, I've sent a few questions in and he's replied instantly. So what Bartender is, it's an application to give you complete control of your menu bar. You install it and configure it via the preference window. So once it's installed, you get this interface to it. And there's five options in there, but the, there's three that are the main ones. There's the menu items tab, the general tab and the advanced tab. On the menu items tab, you get an entry for each menu item in a list on the left of the interface. You can then set that item that ha is in your menu bar to one of three statuses. You can either set it to do nothing, that bartender does nothing with the item. You can tell it that the item should show in the bartender menu, not the menu bar. And the third option is you can completely hide the menu bar item. Now, if you opt to hide a menu bar item and then go back to it, instead of getting three options, you then get an extra one. And that extra option says hidden, which indicates it's already hidden. So those three options give you complete control. Now, when it says show in the bartender bar, what is the bartender bar? Well, that's a secondary menu bar and it appears underneath your real menu bar. Now, you might think, well, you're doing shuffling them. But the beauty of it is that the bartender bar can be toggled on or off. And that can be done via either a shortcut key or an icon that does display in your primary menu bar. And you click on that and it will show or it would hide the bartender menu bar. Now, on my main machine, I have that running on a shortcut key. I love shortcut keys. And I, you know, again, it's one more icon in the menu area. Uh, but on all my other machines that I tend to access via remote desktop, I've got it showing the bartender icon in my primary menu. The reason being, I want to have, if I'm physically sat at a machine, the same shortcut key as on all my other machines. And one of the limitations with remote desktop is that some shortcut keys work locally, but not on the remote machine, and others work on both, depending on which one's active. So to keep it simple, I've had to reprogram LaunchBar to do something slightly different because of that. So to keep it simple, I've elected to have the same shortcut key on all machines, 
but only use the shortcut key on my main machine. So I, I have the bartender icon showing on all my other machines, but not the primary one. Now, it also allows you to control the system menu items too. Presently only on mass, but the developer's working on providing a more granular level of control. Now, I would love to see the back of the spotlight icon for a start because I, I never use that. The only time I inadvertently click that is when I'm thinking, where's my mouse? And I push the, the mouse pointer up to the top right and then click and you know, spotlight menu comes up. And I think, no, I don't want that and away it goes. And for me, it's perfect. Um, I don't mind that it, it looks after the system menu items en masse because when I'm in a webinar, I can just turn the whole lot off. So I just remove everything that's in my menu bar. There is now nothing in my menu bar when I'm uh, delivering a webinar. So I find that brilliant. Now, on your general tab, you've got options to start at login, whether to show the bartender bar at launch or not. So it can actually start and you just see icons disappear from your menu bar. Now, when you use this shortcut key and you bring up the bartender bar, they are in there. But you can choose whether it shows that bar when it launches or not. You've then got an option to auto hide. And if you are showing the bartender icon in the menu bar, you have a variety of icons available to choose from. So the default one looks like um, a bartender. So it's sort of it's black and white icon and it's um, just a, a man with a head of a man with a little dicky bow on. So I find that one's OK. So I've stuck with that one. You can also reset the location and... Um, Set the update preferences from that tab as well. Then on the next one, which is your advanced tab, you can toggle the bartender menu bar on and off and you can set your shortcut keys. And there's three sets of shortcut keys. One shows the bartender bar. The other shows the full menu bar. And the third one shows all the items in the menu bar. Now, what I've elected to do with that is I've missed the middle one out, but I've set up the top one, which is show bartender bar to be control option command and b now it sounds like a lot of keys but my rationale simple it's the bottom three on my keyboard so the three keys in the lower left ignoring the function key and b for bartender and then to show all the items in the menu bar i've gone for the same control option and command and m for menu bar simple to remember simple to use and that's working really well for me Another option allows you to determine what will happen when you click on bartender. So your three options are you can open the bartender bar, you can display all the items in the menu bar, or you can expand the menu bar and keep items hidden. So again, a great level of control. Now the items on the bartender bar are listed in alphabetical order. Might sound odd, but it actually makes sense as at least I know where they are rather than that random placement that you get from OS X. Best of all, I think, because the MacBiters know me, the licensing is per user. So it is a sensible licensing policy. And the price while it's in beta is free. So it's in beta, but it is very, very stable and you can use it free of charge. But you can also purchase while it's in beta. And if you purchase while it's in beta, you get 50% off. Now, that's fantastic. But wait till you hear the price. It's a complete bargain. With 50% off, it is £4.97, which is around $7.50. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, it's already become one of those apps that I don't want to use a Mac without. That is a very special class of app for me. So do you remember in the early days of Mac Bytes, we had Golden Bytes? I remember it well. I'm giving this one five Golden Bytes. I love it. It is brilliant. There are some other applications that promised to do the same when I had a look round. But once I tried Bartender, I was sold. It's got a great implementation and it's fully featured. So some of these other apps are relying on scripts and timings and stuff. Bartender just works as a standard app. So it's great even for a beginner. So you can find Bartender at macbartender.com. So go visit, you need to. So only those applications that I actually need to interact with earn a place on my menu bar. The rest are just a distraction. I'm left with two icons on my menu bar, but I'm going to leave telling you what they are until next time when I talk about how I've configured my setup to be able to only have two icons up there and still do all the things I could before. 
And we'll also be looking at part two of our backup strategy at MacBytes headquarters. So more of that next time. But in the meanwhile, get to MacBartender.com and have a look. And I like MacBartend, MacBartender. <laughs> Not anything. <clears throat> Carry on. <laughs> I like bartender as well. I've got it installed. There's nothing wrong with calling it Mac Bartender. No, okay then. That's the web address. That's the, that is good man. Word. Think of it as promotion. It's time for Mac, Mac Love Bites. And we heard from Lynn Chan. She said, Hi, MacBikes crew. I'd love to come to your webinars, but I live in Hong Kong and it is, as you say to Jane, silly o'clock. I kept promising myself I'd attend, but work gets in the way. I need to sleep. Sleep. Remind me again. What's that? Yes. I wanted to learn more about pages, so I bought the video of your recent webinar and I absolutely loved it. I learned so much. I didn't know pages could do all that it can. The mail merge example was brilliant. And what I love is that the examples you use are so much better than any of I, any I've seen in other training. Yours are real world things, so I know they'll work and I can use them myself. Thanks again. I'll be back for more and maybe even live one day. So thank you for that. Lynn. Oh, thank you very much. That's fantastic. I don't like boring demos, do I? No. Those kind of demos where, where you move a box from one side of the screen to the other and have no idea how to translate that to something useful. Wait till she sees the keynote one with the car and the truck and the caravan. Hmm, I'm saying no more. Yes, I won't give any more secrets away. <laughs> that was that was the keynote journey, that was, wasn't it? Yeah. And from Mac Love Bites on to feedback and comments. Oh yes, we've got backlogs galore. After Jenna's shocking revelation, she was only two thirds of the way through 66 when 67 landed. Strategy Oracle had to go one better and admitted this week to being, wait for it, three episodes behind. I've got a question there. If we were weekly, could the Mac Biters keep up? Hmm. I think not. But maybe Minster could be promoted to be Sergeant Major Minster and lick them all into shape. Really? I do love man in a uniform. And with that image assaulting your senses, we'll move swiftly along, I think. Yes, this week we are continuing our iWork for iPad series with numbers for iPad on the 19th of July at 8 o'clock UK time. I like numbers for iPad. You're surprised, aren't you? It's got features the Mac version doesn't have, by which I mean the Mac version has been crying out for as it needs an update. Last week you were saying, did I tell you how much I hate spreadsheets? Oh, did I? Yes. Mm, numbers is different. Anyway. Is numbers different? Yes. Okay. On the iPad. Uh, yes, I've also got an open webinar on iBooks Author. Now that one's in the afternoon UK time, 2pm UK time on the 24th of July. So not silly o'clock anywhere apart from probably Hong Kong. <laughs> mm. It's always silly o'clock somewhere, but it, it, it shouldn't be as bad for some people. So you're all very welcome to that. I'm sure you'll put a link in the show notes for me, won't you? Yes, it's there. Other new stuff to talk about too, but um, we'll leave that for next week. Time. Much more to imminently enjoy as well. Mountain Lion will be with us very soon. An earnings call to look forward to. Never much of a surprise, I find, but um, entertaining nevertheless. Yeah, we made loads of money, that's it. And I work, of course. Oh, yeah, right. Mm, <laughs> I've given up on that. See, I'm trying to feign disinterest now. If I could really feign disinterest, it would be released imminently. Anyway, yes, and um, oh yes, this week I was also on um, the International Mac Podcast Chat Podcast, where Stu and I talked about all things CS6 related. So that should be released sometime this week as well. I'll let you all know, Twitter, Facebook, etc. But uh, I had a great time chatting away about um, CS6 and the creative cloud. And that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we'd love to hear from you, so please send us your questions, your comments and your queries to macbytesukgmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. We haven't had one for a while, have we? No, we haven't. No. And she'll have to whip them into shape, you're yes. quite right. While Minster's laid up, that's what he could do. 
or leave us a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk. Don't forget to keep sending your Mac Love Bites and give us a like on Facebook and a big thank you to those who have done. Or you could leave us a comment in the iTunes store. It really helps get the word out and we'd be incredibly grateful. You can sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally at twitter.com slash thomasmike. I can hear you giggling. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash macbytesiri. Hey. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you macbytes. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you next time. So is it true? Is what true? What I hear about iOS 6 and Cyril getting a voice. Oh, um, that. You got the memo then? I have nothing to fear. How do you work that out? Mike will never get his teeth around introducing iPad Cyril Siri. You've got a point there.